What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Mason Kern, joined as always by site publisher Chris Cartman, as well as reporters Jacob Rudner and Trevor Booth. Chris, it's hate week for ASU fans as team is already moving on, getting ready to play the Territorial Cup this week. But first off, just how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Mason. Uh, just uh, rolling along, you know, doing what we can. Yep, and we, we were at Sun Devil Stadium, back to our semi-normal routine, pretty pretty late, but uh, it was nice to be back, despite ASU obviously having a losing result. Trevor, you were there with us. How are you doing today? Yeah, Mason, doing well. It was good to see you and Chris again. Um, looking forward to breaking down a football game. We got the Territorial Cup, like you said, and a ranked basketball matchup ahead, so a big week. Definitely a big week, and we were missing Jacob uh, and it was my first time seeing both you, Trevor, and Chris in person, and it's already December, so that was kind of crazy. But Jacob, we were missing you. How are you doing, man? I'm good. You know, it was, uh, l- like I said last week on our podcast, it was weird, again, to cover a game from home and and to have that experience of not being in the stadium, but also covering it the way that, you know, to a degree we normally would. But it's good to uh, to have football games to cover in general, and, and like you guys have already said, it's just it's nice to uh, kind of be in a flow again. Most definitely, and as we kind of take a look at ASU's performance against UCLA, Sun Devils lose 25-18 to in what was kind of a weird game in their first game back in over four weeks after having their, their three games before that canceled due to a COVID-19 outbreak, and they definitely looked rusty. UCLA opened up a 17 to nothing lead before ASU was able to, to get a field goal making it 17 to three into halftime, a little bit of a kicker controversy with Jack Luckhurst making the 49 yarder after Christians and Dejas missed one from 45 before that. But nonetheless, they take a 17 to three lead into halftime and Sun Devils were able to come back, take an 18 to 17 lead with four minutes and 26 seconds remaining. Jaden Daniels scored on a one yard touchdown run. But the defense was not able to get a stop. UCLA subsequently went on an 11-play, 75-yard drive in three minutes and 17 seconds, and they ended up scoring on a touchdown run that looked like they didn't even really want it. Uh, Demetri Felton tried to stop short of the goal line, it seemed, but ends up ends up pushing through. They make the two-point conversion, and ASU is not able to put together a scoring drive at the end of the game. Chris, what was your just general impressions after you rewatched this one? Well, we'll obviously go through the entire game and all of the pieces of ASU's offense and defense here um, in the next however long we take. But the, one of the main things I just want to say up front is it, it was sort of weird, I guess maybe not entirely unexpected, but still a little weird to see so many fans be negative about or like apoplectic almost, like surprised or dismayed by ASU having operational errors, assignment mistakes, um, you know, a slow start, et cetera. And the reason I say that is because I just want everybody to imagine what it would be like at your workplace if all of a sudden you had to like stop everything because you had a COVID outbreak and, and then not do any of your normal stuff really for like two weeks and then come back and then try to get ready after this crazy disruption where a lot of people were sick, quarantined, and it's a physical activity. Guys are not 
you know, not, not conditioned as they normally would be. They don't have the same um, just a flow that you normally have rhythm to what you're doing. And then you have to uh, imagine you, you have to then perform on national TV. That's essentially what we're talking about here. And um, when, when, remember when ASU played USC, um, you know, they lost a tough game, ASU did, but they really didn't have a lot of assignment errors, especially on defense. And they didn't really have a lot of operational sort of procedural mistakes on offense like they did against UCLA. And to me, that's because they had an uninterrupted preparation rhythm leading up to that game. And so they were ready to play. This game against UCLA, I clearly saw, you know, you have, uh, they're breaking, you know, they're, they're got 12 men on the field on offense. They have guys downfield illegally a few times, even though a couple of those were poorly called. Uh, you know, there's, there's other types of mistakes related to operation. And then on defense, I saw um, significantly more mental mistakes than we saw against USC. And I just, I just think it's pretty clear that that is, uh, to a large degree, due to the disruption that ASU had that was related to COVID. Uh, not entirely, you know. So I'm not saying, like, they deserve complete excuses for everything. But I just – this season, I hate to say it, is kind of a throwaway season. Uh, two games that ASU's played into, you know, the middle of December by the time they play Arizona, their third game, and with a 28-day break in between the two games and their whole offensive team essentially being wiped out by COVID. And I don't think that people understand how dire that that situation was for them from a preparation standpoint. They basically had a majority of their staff get sick. They had a majority of their offense not be able to do anything for two weeks. Okay. Like there's, there, there are repercussions, ramifications. There is a result that happens from that. And we saw that, which was essentially ASU not doing well on offense in the first half, especially against UCLA. And a lot of it was um, it's the self-inflicted variety and mistakes that they made and, and all that. But uh, I just, I think we need to sort of set this, um, you know, stage for everything that we're going to talk about subsequently, you know, by looking at it with that sort of a spotlight on the reality of the situation. And Trevor and Jacob getting your takes from the game. It seemed like a roller coaster really after ASU goes down big, they come back and they couldn't quite finish. Chris even posed the question on, on Twitter asking fans how many expected ASU to even take a lead after they went down. But, but Trevor, starting with you, what were just some of your major takeaways? Yeah, sort of just building on what Chris said, you could definitely tell it was a team that hadn't played football in nearly a month um, with the penalties that accrued throughout the game um, and just the rhythm it wasn't really able to establish until the second half. And that's something that Herm Edwards and other players and coaches have kind of indicated is that 
it took a while and their stamina at the beginning wasn't what they wanted it to be. But once they got into the rhythm of game, as we saw, they controlled most of the second half, especially defensively. Um, so I think just to build on that, ASU's coaches are now in a, in a sense, and they've said this in recent press conferences where they're just trying to build and take what they can from their remaining games in this season and implement some young guys. We, excuse me, we saw DJ Taylor on kick return. We saw Caleb McCullough um, get some reps at linebacker. So now it's just really a building phase. And you could tell kind of as things progressed is when ASU was able to sort of assimilate and get into that game. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I, I would say that my biggest takeaway was Arizona State's defensive line play uh, throughout the contest, whether it was Tyler Johnson, who was truly excellent. He had three sacks, four and a half tackles for loss uh, or DJ Davidson, Michael Matus both had a sack apiece. Matus was responsible for Arizona State's third quarter safety. The defensive line play was very strong pretty much from start to finish. And what was really stand out to me was their, their adjustment that they made at halftime to counter UCLA's run game. In the first half, UCLA generated 115 yards on the ground on just 17 attempts. And at halftime, Tyler Johnson told media after the game that ASU basically went back to the drawing board on its, on its strategy to stop the run game. And that worked really well. They, they stopped UCLA, held them to 56 rushing yards on 22 attempts. That's just 2.2 yards per carry in the third and fourth quarters combined. So uh, a, a really good game for ASU's defensive line. Robert Rodriguez has had a very clear impact on those players. And, uh, you know, just to, again, single him out, Tyler Johnson was, was great in that game. He was the first. Uh, he, he had the most sacks by an ASU player since 2016. And, uh, yeah, just, just a very solid off, uh, d- uh, overall performance from the defensive line. And Chris, I mentioned it earlier, ASU going down, take UCLA taking a 17 to three lead into halftime. All of those points for both teams came in the second quarter. ASU was able to, to hold UCLA to zero. Likewise, the Bruins held Sun Devils to zero in that first quarter. What went wrong in the second quarter, especially, and, and you talked about it, UCLA's improved defensive pressure. They had three sacks on Jaden Daniels in that first quarter of their five overall in the game. But what, what led to ASU getting down so big? Well, it was a myriad of factors. Um, it was interesting in this game. You could tell right away that uh, because UCLA brings its safeties into the box a lot more and allows for this um, man coverage on the perimeter that, and, and also part of this is that UCLA played a lot of bare front looks, which are basically five-man front, seven guys in the box. Um, you know, ASU fans, you know, correctly said that ASU should have been – they thought ASU should have been running the ball more because they were running the ball so effectively. When you're a coordinator, you're sort of looking at the numbers of it, like whether you have the ability to block everybody um, in, in a run play you know, essentially. And, uh, and then you're looking at, um, both the, um, you know, the man coverage situations on the perimeter and the opportunity that you have in that, in those situations with like your top target. So everybody knows Frank Darby's a, a uh, you know, one of the top returning big play threats in the PAC 12 UCLA is a very aggressive, uh, uh blitzing, on rundowns and, 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 uh, an overall type of a defense. And, um, so what you, what we saw was Zach Hill, um, really trying to open the game up. He was trying to get UCLA backed off early on in the game. 
And the way that you do that is you hit on some, some shot plays. And Frank Darby had uh, man coverage in, in you know, several situations where it was very clear, and others, you know, Johnny Wilson as well, I can recall on, on a play, uh, where they're just trying to back UCLA safeties up and then probably try to then go to more run game. But ASU wasn't able to connect on those. Uh, we, we saw a really good defense from, uh, I believe his name's Eno or Enoch, um, the UCLA's cornerback, um, in, in fact, back-to-back plays in one situation in the first half. Uh, and because of that, I think it sort of frustrated what was Zach Hill's sort of desired approach. And remember, the backdrop for this is you have Herm Edwards, who's this guy who talks about run game and defense travel, but they're playing at home. And he's been saying over and over and over again for months, uh, really the whole year, uh, got to score more points, got to score more points, got to be able to get connect on bigger plays in the passing game to score more points. Here you have this seemingly ripe opportunity to be able to do that based upon what the coverages were. It, it, and it was, it was, it was press man coverage. That's where they tried consistently to take advantage. It wasn't like it was off man coverage and there's buffer zone and Darby, you know, it's not there for him. It was plays where a guy like Darby should be expected to beat guys vertically. And also Jaden Daniels should be able to locate the ball properly to make some of those. And they had a couple of them where the passes were a little bit off uh, several of them where it was just covered and they weren't able to get it there. And then they had some situations where even though that was, you know, technically maybe the play that you should make when you're looking at the numbers of the boxes against uh, an 11 personnel and they got a a loaded seven man box and all that kind of stuff um, there, they still should have probably ran the ball. And I, and, and I remember that second and five opportunity that ASU had in particular when they were driving kind of early on and um, they, you know, they, they threw the ball when I think they should have passed the ball. Uh, you know, Jaden Daniels doesn't check out of it. He has opportunity uh, because they were at, at, in that particular play. UCLA had gone to more of a six man box and ASU was in a condensed formation with the ability to have uh, Curtis Hodges and one of the receivers blocking um, and, and they didn't get the right call. They ended up going backwards and backwards again on third down. Then you had the, the Zendejas missed field goal attempt. Uh, and um, I think that was, that was costly. Um, you know, there's these other stages of the game, which we talked about in the post game show where, you know, you had the, um, the illegal guys downfield calls. I think two of those were, were garbage calls that, um, that really changed the, the whole tenure of the game. The, the, you know, ASU scored a touchdown on the first one, even after the, the initial call was, was, was bad. So I guess that didn't matter, but then the last one was with, um, you know, Jane Daniels threw the ball with 27 seconds. I believe he had a, one of his linemen was about two and a half yards downfield. You're allowed to be three yards downfield. So that's not a penalty. Apparently UCLA was calling for it from the sideline. Uh, it, it ended up being an offsetting because, uh, because, um, the receiver was interfered with would have been ASU's ball with around 25 seconds inside of UCLA's 30. 
And uh, instead, uh, you know, ASU is un unable to really go anywhere from um, from there. The game ends. Um, so, you know, um, it's again. I think that there a lot of the issues were self inflicted. The procedural, some guy the guys downfield, you know, whatever. There was officiating blunders. Um, you know, also there was a huge mistake miscall call by the officials on that 65 or whatever it was yard run. Uh, Caleb McCullough very clearly who was in there for a second rep of the game. Trevor mentioned earlier, uh, he got an UCLA lineman basically grabbed his face mask and shoved it upwards right, but right near where the ball ran, the ball carrier ran through the hole. So that, 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 that should have been a penalty should have gone backwards. Stefan Wright missed a tackle there that you have to make every time. Other ASU players, they didn't actually, um, you know, play hard through the whistle. Chase Lucas in particular. He was basically standing around thinking the play was dead. Play wasn't dead. Then he starts to, to, to get on, you know, to start chasing. Uh, and there were, you know, a lot of sort of lapses by ASU defensively. Uh, UCLA does a great job. Chip Kelly of getting guys looking in the wrong places and going to the wrong locations. So there were several times like Jordan Clark, uh, he went to the wrong uh, a place with a receiver that was two guys that covered on Dorian Thompson Robinson's scramble touchdown. Uh, we saw, we saw uh, earlier on Chase Lucas in a zone uh, go uh, basically where he shouldn't have with a man that enabled another touchdown. So uh, there was lots of mistakes by ASU in this game, much more than USC. I, I attribute a lot of that personally to the layoff and the challenges of getting ready for a game after everything that they had to deal with. It doesn't totally absolve them, especially veteran players, but I, I just think that it's a very difficult environment, uh, all things considered. And you mentioned the missed field goal early in the game, kind of uh, a critical point for ASU. That was the Sun Devils second drive of the game offensively. And they were, they were moving down the field relatively well up to that point. They get to UCLA's 15 yard line. It's first and 10 Rashad white has a five yard rush second and five. And then Daniels takes back to back sacks backs him up. And then Zendejas misses from 45 yards, despite Sean Slocum saying he's added some range this season. He misses that one. And, and ASU comes away with no points. Trevor, Briefly, what did Herm Edwards say about the, the kicking situation? Jack Luckhurst, redshirt freshman, ends up coming in later in the game and, and converts from 49. Yeah, essentially after the game, he commended Jack Luckhurst for being able to come in and he commended his leg strength in particular. Um, and the question was, how is this going to evolve at that point? And that was asked in Herm Edwards' press conference on Monday. And he essentially said that Luckhurst and Zendejas are going to be competing for reps throughout the week. And then they're going to make a determination by um, the time the Arizona game comes, who they're going to feel most comfortable with. Um, and this is really interesting because Zendejas was a guy who was put on the Lou Groza award watch list um, at the beginning of the year, had a good season for ASU last year after Brandon Ruiz didn't um, play and he came in and stepped up. Uh, but like you said, Mason, the big storyline for him was, was he going to be able to add range? Um, three of his misses were beyond 40 yards last year. He said, like you said that, uh, or I'm sorry, Coach Slocum said that he had added about five yards and they hosted to his field goal range and missed that there. And now Luckhurst is perceived to have a big leg, um, potentially as a guy who can kick longer field goals. We saw him make the 49-yard attempt. And it's just going to be interesting to see kind of as this competition unfolds here in the week ahead. 
And Chris, overall, ASU, as I said, was able to come back. They put up nine third-quarter points. Uh, they take a one-point lead. The second-half adjustments seemed to work, at least in that third quarter. Defense holds UCLA to zero points. They were able to come back. A, a large part of that is the running game. Diamante Trainum puts up over 100 rushing yards. I mean, For a true freshman, it was a, a pretty remarkable performance. Overall, how did you see them making the adjustments, able to come back, a trick play even included in that third quarter as well? Yeah, I just, um, I think that they realized, Zach Hill realized that even though what they were trying to do in early in the game, you know, should have been working or was there and, and, and they were fine calls, um, it, it just probably wasn't going to happen. And that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a little bit of a glaring issue that they – um, you know, that they have about their, their, their big game passing against a team like UCLA, who's giving up that type of coverage. But what they found pretty clearly was that their run game was really working both outside run. And then also these counter runs where they were able to get to the edge and, uh, and even the downhill types of stuff with, with, with train them. Um, he's, you know, big athletic, low leg drive, uh, you know, finds a whole type of a back. I think ASU fans basically are just loving him already. And also Rashad White, very, very good, smooth back. He was, you know, like pressing up to the line and hanging out behind linemen as they made blocks and then squeezing through. I mean, some stuff that you really see at the next level by polished guys. And, um, you know, you can make a case pretty pretty clearly that they should have just been trying to run the ball more earlier because of the effectiveness of it, even against what UCLA's presentation was defensively. Um, I, I think ASU's defense got much better in the second half than in the first half. There were so many mistakes in the first half that were just kind of lapses and and, and, and guys not doing things they should have done. Um, they, they shut the run down very effectively in the second half. And, um, you know, it, the only, the only kind of time where the game got loose again was after ASU took the lead and then UCLA moved right back down the field. And that happens sometimes, you know, the last couple minutes of games, they, they tend to, you know, sometimes look a lot different than, a lot of the the action that preceded the, those those stages, you know, for a variety of reasons. But um, yeah, I, I I think the ASU not having uh, Jack Jones and and not having a Shari Crosswell, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a little bit more of a factor um, watching the game back than I thought live. Although really it was it was um, DeAndre Pierce. You know, not not going to get a, a ball or or attack the the receiver on a thing on a thing that looked like the jail Mary, where he's like waiting for two seconds with his hands up for the ball to get there, and it gets you know plucked away in front of him. Um, yeah, I mentioned the, the 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 Jordan Clark and Chase Lucas plays earlier; those were on touchdowns, and um, you know, but I think I think you know. The defense played played pretty well, especially in the second half. Uh, ASU should have won the game. I think ASU probably is a is a it, it, it sounds crazy to say that, but in like a normal year, if they had played a normal sort of football schedule, 
I think I think ASU is a better team. I think that they are, they're a more dynamic team. They have more versatility. Um, and I think they would have had a better opportunity to get rhythm established with their offense. Uh, Jane Daniels didn't play very well. You know, I think part of that, again, is the COVID situation and, and them not being able to practice and him basically being, um, you know, out for a couple of weeks as part of that. And, um, and then also, you know, you don't have a lot of – it's not like they got games – against non-conference teams to sort of get into a rhythm and then were able to stay in a rhythm. They didn't have any of that. So the interception he threw was a very uncharacteristic mistake on first down. Can't make that. Uh, I, I feel like the the fumble on the one, I, I watched it a few times. It, it's always kind of hard to tell what that center QB exchange, exactly whose fault it is. What happens is that they, you know, that the center's trying to get it there quickly because he's got to immediately get his hands to a, 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 a body located properly at, on a goal line. You had Donovan West who was clearly pulling. So that's, that, that sort of uh, adds that sense of urgency to it. It looked like Daniels was pulling out like almost too quickly uh, on the play. And that, that's a risk that happens when you're down there around the goal line. Um, so there was these, you know, just, super costly, you know, plays. I think Daniels missed guys. The throw that he had to Bunkley Shelton before the the one that was to Porter that was the illegal man downfield on the last drive was not well located. Uh, there were a couple other throws that I think were a little bit off. And uh, I, I, I think the sharpness, you know, factor was there. He also... Uh, started calling an offensive play before Frank Darby got off the field when they had 12 guys on the field. Uh, that was a penalty. Uh, I think there should have been a check. I think there should have been kills on a few of the plays. I mentioned the second and five play earlier. It was a perfect opportunity for a kill. He's got to see that ASU has an advantage in the box uh, to run the ball there and get and, and dump out of the play because UCLA had been in these seven-man boxes, but then they changed. I don't think that Zach Hill was anticipating that. That's the type of thing that when you get this extra layer of sort of an understanding of what you're trying to do and why and how that you make those types of adjustments. Um, and, uh, and they just, they weren't very sharp bottom line. Right. And Daniels, as you mentioned, not the best performance went 21 of 35, 225 yards in the touchdown, but also the interception, which was, back-to-back turnovers because the the drive before you mentioned the goal line fumble literally that that would have tied the game had they scored there and then the defense though forces a safety on the very next possession seeming to possibly be a, a turning point momentum builder and then Daniels throws the interception on the subsequent drive but Michael Matus and and the defensive line forcing a safety as I as I mentioned to get the two points in the kickoff and Jacob you mentioned it earlier the play of the defensive line Tyler Johnson wins defensive lineman of the week in the Pac-12 how are you seeing this unit develop under the instruction of Robert Rodriguez in his first year. Yeah, Mason, I think that, you know, the, the changes that Robert Rodriguez has been able to make with this defensive line have been significant. The players have affirmed that throughout the season and before it, you know, they've said that the biggest change for them has just been the way that they approach the game mentally. Robert Rodriguez has preached, uh, you know, just this mental toughness that a lot of the players have said they haven't really experienced from a defensive line coach in the, in the past, and then as well as focusing physically on some of the smaller things, hand position, 
uh, leverage in certain situations, being able to beat the man that's in front of you. And we've seen that translate to success on the field with guys specifically, like you mentioned, Michael Matus. Uh, he was credited with the sack on the safety uh, in the third quarter for Arizona State. And this is a guy, we have a couple articles on the site about it, who has performed well in his college career in practice and hasn't necessarily translated that consistently to games. And, you know, you don't want to read too much into it, just two games having been played this season. But he's a guy that was also very solid against USC. Uh, he had a good performance against UCLA. Uh, you mentioned DJ Davidson. He was also very good against UCLA, had a sack in that game. Uh, and then Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson awarded the defensive lineman of the week, like you mentioned, in the Pac-12. Uh, he became the first Sun Devil to record a three-sack game since October 2016 and the first Sun Devil with at least four tackles for loss in a game since August 2017. Uh, you know, he's a guy, too, who uh, Herm Edwards, Marvin Lewis, uh, Chris, you've talked about it before. He's a guy that's also physically been, you know, projected and able to do the things that I think, you know, we saw from him against UCLA. Uh, it was more a question of where he was mentally with the game and his motivation to uh, play it. And And he said before the season started that he is – approaching things differently than he has in the past, but most significantly, he's motivated to play football more than he ever has been. And going into the season, he said that made a significant change in the way that he saw himself performing both in practice and now very clearly in the game. He's leading the team in sacks. He ranks third in the Pac-12 with four sacks despite just playing two game, games. Excuse me. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been a, a really good season for Arizona State's defensive line, and, and that really shined through on Saturday against UCLA. Yeah, can I just uh, add to that? I would say that the, probably the MVP of ASU's season so far is, is Robert Rodriguez. And, you know, it's two games, so it's like, okay, what, and they lost both. So it's like people are like, okay, whatever. But you can just see the trajectory of where they're going and what they're going to be with this guy, and it is really bright. Uh, Matus, probably the most improved player on the defense. Um, you you – we, everybody saw like Tyler Johnson. We've been talking about him for years. Like he, we've known he's had this potential. He's in it, you know, but he's never played with his hand down on defense. And he's now like starting to look like a guy who clearly has some NFL tape that's out there. The, the, that recovery sack against DTR where he didn't go too much upfield and because he knew that his scrambling ability was there. And then he like redirected and got back to him for that. The, I think it was his first sack. That was really tremendous. Uh, I thought DJ Davidson played really well. Jermaine Lole, even though he didn't have a big numbers game, he looked really good. Um, so the future is, I think, very bright for for them with this four-man front. They played a nickel defense, which it was kind of a surprise, but you know, not too much because UCLA does do a lot of 11 personnel as a run-heavy team. That's So that's the reason. But they found a good balance to me between – that stopping the run and being able to have five defensive backs. Only problem that they had was, especially in the second half, um, on the the last drive and, and and some moments earlier, they were you know they were too loose in their zones, and UCLA was able to pick them apart because guys weren't located exactly where they needed to be. That was more of an issue that we saw last year from ASU. Uh, and especially with the linebackers that they looked better on against U USC, but then they, they sort of, you know, had a little bit of some moments of, of lapse in, in this game. 
Yeah, and, and and Chris, just to really quickly bounce off something you said, you mentioned Jermaine Lolay and, and kind of how he wasn't he didn't do anything necessarily flashy against UCLA, but Herm Edwards did acknowledge yesterday during his weekly press conference that Jermaine Lolay is a guy who's like an unsung hero, is what he called him. And he said that he's one of the players who is consistently so steady for Arizona State's defense and kind of an anchor who Herm and the rest of the def- defensive coaching staff can really count on to just go out there and be solid. So j- just to kind of build off of what you said with what Herm said, he might not be flashy necessarily in the game, but he's a guy who has provided consistently good play. And Herm Edwards recognized that during his press conference after that UCLA game. And this has been a defensive line that also has been without Amiri Johnson for, for these last two games. And the secondary as well was missing Jack Jones and Ashari Crosswell, who has declared for the 2021 NFL draft. Chris, how significant were those losses or just them not being around for this game and how did you see the unit step up without them well i um i think deandre pierce wasn't nearly as sharp in this game as he was against usc um i don't think he played poorly by any stretch uh you know and we don't know if ashari crosswell would have been sharp i mean he didn't he lost his job because of mistakes really more than anything and so, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, I think he's like a bigger, better sort of athlete than, than Pierce is. doesn't mean that he would have played better. Uh, I think to Marcus Davis, you know, he had a couple reps that were, that were a bit shaky. Um, but he also made some nice plays. And I don't think he really played poorly overall. So, um, you know, I think he's, you know, I, I think the personnel is still pretty good on the back end for ASU defensively um you know evan fields i think he had a good game probably was evan fields probably had the best game of asu in the secondary overall uh, not flawless but um yeah i mean we didn't we didn't they didn't really go too deep it's not like they, they did come out and play ed woods to start the second half at corner where davis started but then ed woods gave up a play and he was off the field and that's maybe that's kind of one interesting thing to talk about is you know coaches are always they're always saying they want to play young guys and get young guys these reps but then kayla mccullough and stefan wright come in for one series and ucla you know has a 60 something yard run and then ed woods comes in for one series and he gives up a play and that shows you that it's 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 easier said than done to get younger guys on the field when you're playing these really close games, um, and 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 all situations are consequential. It's not just like the end of the game is consequential. Um, if you give up a, you know, sixty something yard run in you know that that turns into you know points or whatever in the first half because you had some young guys out there on the field, and that they're like everybody else. They haven't been able to practice as much in the last, you know, month or so as uh, as you'd like to have. It kind of highlights how impressive it was in in 2018 when ASU was playing one of the youngest defenses in the nation and still performing at a winning level. Uh, as we've seen, as you mentioned, some of these young guys struggling in their limited game reps, but that's obviously a factor as well as of yeah. limited practice time and the the canceled games. Yeah, yeah. The the uh, you know the difference being, of course, is that you know as you said there, they're able to get into a rhythm. You know, and right. I also would say as as part of the whole rhythm sort of thing, uh, we didn't really talk about that much earlier. Is ASU's offensive line has some very good players. Uh, I, I 
Donovan West is phenomenal. Like I, I, he had some some pulls and some combo blocks in this game that just completely like were jaw dropping, actually. And uh, and I also think that Kellen Deesh looks like an NFL offensive tackle. Like he looks really good. You know, he made a couple mistakes. He didn't fan out one time. Uh, UCLA, they bring all of these uh, uh, corner and safety pressures that come from a lot wider than most teams will do it. And that presents some challenges where they couple that with somebody kind of looking like they're going to be going outside of the tackle, but then coming inside. So it gets the tackle sort of moving in one direction or even the tight end. Sometimes Curtis Hodges, uh, you know, he gave up a sack on ASU's last drive of Dan's where he got hit from behind on a similar type of situation. Uh, Deesh earlier in the game on a similar type of situation. Um, I thought that uh, Cade Cody actually played quite well. I thought uh, Ben Scott had great moments, including a combo block in the run game. That was really great. Uh, he was he was very effective overall in the run game. The probably the guy who had the the the, the not as good of a performance as the rest was Henry Hattis. I think he had some mistakes, um, you know. But the the challenge that those guys had thrown at them with how many six-man pressures that UCLA brings and the ways that they sort of dial those up exotic, uh, exotically, uh, if that's even a word, are they, like really, really challenging. And especially when you don't have a normal sort of amount of working together as you normally would have to be able to sort of sync up and, and get those things handled. And that's also where Jane Daniels um, – identifying that and uh and getting the hot routes getting the ball out really quickly throwing the ball away when you need to not taking a loss and asu's running backs there were uh there was one play where white um you know he he got stuck on a uh, a lineman that ben scott was also on when he should have picked up the corner so it's like the protection issues it's not just offensive line we had we saw tight end breakdowns we saw running back breakdowns in max pro and all, getting all that stuff to work really seamlessly is a very difficult proposition against a team like UCLA. Right, and they were able to – the offensive line was able to protect Daniels better. I mean, five sacks in the game, but three came in the first quarter. Obviously, the fourth quarter one was, was painful at a, at, a, at a painful time, but nonetheless, overall, uh, improved protection of Daniels as the game went on. But, Chris, as we wrap this thing up – Last one for you. Should ASU fans be concerned about where the program is at 0-2 winless right now? I don't think so. I, um, I, the team that I'm watching right now, uh, I think that they would have probably had a winning record had they played a whole season. Uh, and then look, kind of looking at the other teams in the conference – I never expected that this team was going to be a nine or 10 win type of a team. I don't think that was, would have been reasonable when you have two, you know, a new offense, new defense, new coordinator on offense, so many new offensive pieces. I've been always saying that they've been building the 2021, the, the, um, yeah, they're 0 two, but you know, it's, you, I, I don't think it's a, 
you know, I don't think that that in and of itself really tells you all that much, to be honest. And, um, you know, they could have, they could have easily won either of those games. They were games that came down to the last minute and, uh, and against USC and UCLA. So, you know, teams that are always going to be able to, to beat you or most seasons. So, uh, you know, the disappointing thing for ASU is that had they been able to get a lot more good quality reps and experience that would have helped them a lot building into next year that now they're not going to have nearly as much of. And so that could be a factor. Most definitely. And as I said, ASU winless heading into the territorial cup, also facing a winless Arizona team who's played more games at O and four, and we'll have more coverage of that leading up to it. But Chris, any final thoughts before we wrap this thing up? Well, we're going to have a premium podcast. That's going to go uh, extensively into the territorial cup and also uh, we're going to be talking more about ASU basketball on the premium podcast. That's going to be dropping on Thursday. So ahead of the, the basketball team's game against San Diego state that night and the, the, the game in Tucson on Friday. So look forward to that. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For site publisher Chris Cartman, as well as staff reporters Jacob Rudner and Trevor Booth, I'm your host, Mason Kern, saying so long. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.